So we're, uh, we're right in the middle of a series. We started it uh, last week, and um, it's called 2020 Vision. And look, Doyle made fun of it last week, the name. I get it. It is super corny, right? Like, it's super corny name, but you remember it, don't you? You will now. Okay, 2020 Vision. And the whole idea is, and we talked about this at Christmas time, is that everybody this year is going to end up, by the end of the year, someplace. But very few of us will end up someplace on purpose, is we may just wander through the year and just kind of see what happens, hopefully survive it, and then boom, that's where we've ended up. And we're going to try to be a little bit more strategic than that. As individuals and as a church, is we want to end up someplace on purpose this coming year. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And uh, I thought maybe I would just kind of tell you how I'm working through this, and maybe you can hopefully learn something from it, my mistakes or something that I did or whatever. Um, but I want to kind of talk you through how this works for me. Is, um, I, as I've mentioned before, is at the end of every year, I do a, a year-end review. Usually it's with my wife, and, and we just talk through all the arenas of our life. As we say, well, okay, how did, our, or how did we do in our marriage? And we've set previous goals, and so, okay, do we reach our goals? And how did we do, you know, in, in our finances? How do we do spiritually? How do we do in our health? And, and we do a review, and then we start to set goals for the coming year. And so after Christmas um, was the time that I kind of decided I was going to spend some time in prayer and thinking and writing down some goals and some dreams and maybe a vision for this coming year. And once we reached that week after Christmas, I got to be honest, I was drawing a blank. Like I had, no <laughs> I had nothing, right? I went to sit down. I'm like, okay, God, where are we going? This? And it just made me tired just thinking about this coming year. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I just got, I was like, I don't, oh. I just need a nap just to even start this conversation. And so as I, uh, as I, was, as I was thinking through and praying through, man, what am I going to do? Um, I, I very quickly realized that I was going to get nothing done. So the, right after Christmas, my family, we usually head out of town for uh, a week or so to kind of decompress and get back in the, you know, uh, get, get rested. And the four days after Christmas, Amy and I would get up every morning and we would go, what do you want to do today? You want to like go do something? Uh-uh. I am exhausted. Are you exhausted? I am exhausted as well. Now, here's the problem with that, is we have three young kids, and four days in, they will drive you out of your mind if you don't get up and do something, is they're ready to go at all times. And I can't just blame my kids. They got a lot of energy. But this year, I, I kind of think it's partly my wife's fault that they had so much energy. And I'll show you why, because on Christmas morning, this is what my wife thought would be a great present for my three young kids. I think we got a quick video Christmas morning. Um, this is the present that they got in our living room. So that was fun. After a couple hundred times, you kind of get over it, you know? You're like, okay, well, it looks like I'm replacing the baseboards now because they're totally destroyed. Uh, anyway, and so four days into it, we thought, okay, we got to get out of town and we got to get out of this house. And, and we were planning on going up north. And so we load everybody kind of last minute up in the, car, uh, in the car to head up north. And I don't know if you were watching the news or not, but right after Christmas, there was a bunch of snow and that hit this thing called the grapevine, if you're familiar with it. And it's how you get to Northern California from Southern California. And um, I'd been watching it, and it, it finally had opened up, and so we thought, okay, you know what, let's head up there. And so we jumped in the car, and I guess we weren't the only ones who had this idea, uh, because everybody in Southern California was trying to go through the grapevine at the exact same time that we were. 
And I realized halfway through, uh, as we were sitting in traffic, that part, that, that part of the reason why we weren't getting anywhere is because there were not just a couple, but there were hundreds of adults playing in the snow on the side of the road, which I thought, you know, there might be a better place than that, but okay, whatever. And so we, we make it through, and here was the great part. This is, we just got to have some family time together. We got to spend the next 10 hours together in the car <laughs> as just a... Just a great family time, right? Kids love being in the car for that long. It's fun. Um, I wasn't sure who's going to cry first, my wife or my kids, and uh, it was me actually. <laughs> it was me who cried first. So anyway, so as we're driving up there, um, I got to do something that I, I don't normally get to do uh, because maybe it's my life stage or whatever. But I'm chasing the kids all the time. I've got work to do. I've got uh, relationships to maintain. I'm always running, and so I just feel like I never have time to sit and just just think. You know, just think about some stuff. By the end of the day, I'm so exhausted, I just want to veg, and then I want to go to sleep, right? And when you're driving for 10 hours, you start to think about the things that you normally don't get to think about. Maybe because you avoid them or you don't have the time, but I started to think through, why am I having such a difficult time uh, coming up with like a vision and, and goals for this coming year? And partly is because I'm tired, but I realize the other part is because I've kind of lost my motivation. I've forgotten my why. Why do I do what I do? Why did God create the place like Seacoast? And, and so I, I started to think through the why a little bit. And so since I had so much time on my hands, I started to listen to podcasts, and I, I love podcasts. I listen to tons of different podcasts. And so I started listening to some theology and philosophy, and then I, uh, I listened to one on how to crack a safe. You never know, you know? <laughs> so I know how to do that now. Um, and I came across one podcast that was really interesting, caught my attention. It was a, a show that was hosted by a Christian, and he would interview people who have different kind of perspectives on faith. And so on these episodes, he was interviewing an atheist political commentator, well-known intellectual, and an agnostic historian. And they both came on, and they kind of had the same, same concerns. They said, well, we understand that we, because we were born in the West, we were shaped by Christian foundations, that because of the culture that we were born into, the things that we believe and the things that we value, they come from the Christian worldview. And I thought they were coming on, they're going to go, you know, we need to get rid of this, and we need to get rid of the superstitions, and we need to, and they came on and were saying the exact opposite. They said, one of our fears, and again, these are not Christian people, one of our fears is that as the West becomes more secular and gets further and further away from its Christian roots, that we're going to lose the things that we value the most because they came directly out of Christianity. And so if we're not Christian anymore, I'm not sure we can maintain these values. And so they started to talk about things like humility. Historians said in, ancient, in the ancient world, God was seen by everyone, or they, uh, excuse me, that everyone wanted to be seen in public as powerful and accomplished. In fact, Plutarch wrote a best-selling book, and it was How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. How to Make Yourself a Big Deal. And humility was seen as a shame. It was seen as failure. That is until Jesus came along, and people believed that Jesus is the king of the universe, and he came as this innocent little child, humbly in a, in a manger, and then he begins to wash people's feet. And so humility became a value, and it's something that, whether you're a Christian or not, I, I would venture to guess that you value as well. And forgiveness. In the ancient world, there was no such thing as forgiveness, at least for the people that you didn't like. Uh, the kind of the, uh, the going motto was, you reward your friends and you punish your enemies. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 you, you love your enemies. In fact, I want you to forgive them the way that I have forgiven you. 
And then compassion. There's tons of poor and weak and vulnerable just like there is today. But as people would watch them, especially those that had the power, they would look at these poor people and they would say, that is a you problem, not a me problem. That's still happening this very day. There's a Russian proverb and it says, the tears of strangers are only water. Yeah, tough time. That's too bad for you because I'm good. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, I want you to love the least of these. If you're going to love me, you've got to love them as well. And then he started telling stories like the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, he says, you know, this person whom you think is your enemy, these are the very people that I want you to have compassion, I want you to care for. And then Christians began to take this serious and they started to care for the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. And then they had these things called charities and hospitals. And still to this very day, if you look around the world, it is primarily Christians who start charities and hospitals because they took this seriously. But the one that really bothered them, the one that they were really most concerned about was human value and worth. That was the one that they were most afraid of losing. Because in the ancient world, not all humans were valuable or at least equal in their value. Women were seen as second-class citizens that if, uh, if a husband died, because she was the property of the husband in some of those cultures, that she would be killed at his funeral as well. And if there was a female child that was born and the family didn't want her, it's not a big deal because she's not a full human and so she could be tossed out. And of course, we know that slavery is not the exception but has been the norm throughout most of human cultures. And so they were really concerned about how do we, how do we say that all humans are valuable and equal because most societies have determined human value and worth based on who is in power. And they'll determine it based on maybe what you can, your abilities, maybe it's your race, your ethnicity, your wealth, whatever it is, they're going to determine who's in and who's out. But then Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 everyone, all humans are valuable. And the reason why they're valuable is not based on what they can do or what they have, but it's based on the fact that they were made in God's image. And so they have inherent value and worth and every single human on this planet is equal. And from these beliefs came things like freedom, is that no image bearer has the right to enslave another image bearer. No coincidence that Christians happen to be the ones to abolish slavery. They're the first in human history to systematically oppose slavery. It's actually the very foundations of our society. The Declaration of Independence says this, and we only focus in on one part, but we miss the key part. It says this, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. See, we like to focus in on we're all created equal, we have these self-evident rights and value, but the problem is it's tied into the belief, the Christian belief, that we were made in God's image. And so their fear, as an agnostic and an atheist, is if we stop believing in that God, we're gonna stop believing that humans are inherently valuable and that everyone is equal. Now, if I had time, we could go and we can talk about how Christianity has impacted the world through modern science. It's also no coincidence that all the major founders of modern science were Christians because they believed that there was a rational God who created a rational world and it could be rationally understood. Also, education was all founded by Christians because they wanted everybody to be able to read the Bible or, or marriage and family, the idea of monogamy and lifelong committed relationships. But let me just point out one more thing because it, it came from a conversation I had ju- just very recently. I sat down with someone, and I would say that this person was kind of a typical, um, West, had a typical Western mindset when it came to, to religion and it came to God. And so we started to talk about, you know, he found, found out I'm a pastor, and so, okay, here we go. It's either he's going to run or he's going to pepper me with questions, and, and uh, we went with the question route. And so we started talking about worldview and religion and what he thinks and what I think, and so I said, you know, 
what do you think? Do you think, do you think there's a God? He said, oh, definitely, definitely a God. I said, is there one God or lots of gods? Only one God. I'm pretty sure there's only one God. I said, okay, that's interesting. I said, do you pray? Every day. I pray every single day. So you believe that this God actually hears your prayers. Like this God is personal. It's not just a force that's out there, but this is a personal God that can hear your prayers and maybe even answer them. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, well, uh, what about the afterlife? Do you think that when you die, it just lights out? Or do you think that there's something else after this? I thought, well, you know, I just have a hard time believing that this is all that there is. It couldn't just be. I believe that there's, there's a heaven after this. I said, okay, well, what about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Because he made these big claims about himself, and he says, you know, I can't go that far. Like, I believe that he's a good teacher. He's a real moral guy. He seemed to be a good, but I can't go the whole he's God, and you have to be saved by him, and all that kind of stuff. I said, can I just point out something to you just real quick? I said, you know that all those beliefs that you hold about like God and the afterlife. And all. You know those are all Jesus beliefs, right? Like the reason why you believe those things is not because like you thought of them or because you, it's because Jesus taught those things and then you live in a culture in which is saturated with Jesus beliefs. Because if, if you were in the ancient world, you wouldn't think that there's one God. You would think that there are many gods. And you wouldn't think that this God wants to know you. You would think, I have to appease these gods because they may hurt me. They, they're either indifferent or they're angry at me. And so I somehow have to keep them on my side. You know, all those beliefs, like in one God, that was Jesus. He said that. Like he came along and said, there's only one God, and he wants to know you. He's not angry at you. He's not vengeful. He's not spiteful. In fact, he wants to know you that he sent me in order to reconcile you. He wants you to call him your heavenly father. Just blowing people's minds when they heard this for the first time. See, we live in a culture in which this is what we've heard. Whether we believe it or not, this is our conception of God. But when people are hearing it for the first time, they're going, wait a minute, what? This God wants to know me? This God cares about me? He's not angry at me? And the whole afterlife thing, well, that was Jesus too. Because he came along and he said, you know, death is not the end. That there is this, this life after this that's waiting for you and eternity awaits you. Now what makes Jesus different than all the rest of the philosophers and the theologians and the prophets who claim to be speaking on behalf of God or tell you what God is like is one thing. That's the resurrection. See, Jesus made all of these big claims about who God is and how you can know him and then he proves it by resurrecting from the dead. See, if you're able to die and then come back to life, pretty good chance you know what you're talking about. And that's what made him different, and that's what, in fact, changed the world, is because people recognized that he was able to do something no one else was able to do, and so his claims must be true. And with those claims and those values and those truths that came into the world, people's lives have changed. Billions of people's lives have changed. We now have hope hope that one day the tears that we cry will be wiped away. We have peace, knowing that no matter what we may face, that God is on our side and that he is in control. We may have joy because God loves us and he has a plan for us. We have purpose that what we do here really matters. It echoes for eternity. And so the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been changing and has changed the world, and he continues to do so. And not just on this big global scale, which is true, but he's been doing it on an individual level as well. Because as I think about my own life and my family, he's really turned it upside down as well. Because when I think about my family, if you just go back a few generations uh, to my great-grandparents, they were outlaws, they were bootleggers, they were nasty people, and then Jesus comes into their life and just changes everything. Turns it upside down and just changes the trajectory of our entire family. 
from then on, not only are we not outlaws anymore, but now we have dozens and dozens of pastors since then. I think about my life and I think about the decisions that I was making, the directions that I were heading, and then Jesus steps in and he says, no, I don't think you wanna go there. I actually have a better plan for you. I can't tell you one area of my life that Jesus has not affected, that he hasn't changed. You, you name it. My finances changed it. My purpose changed it. My career, who I married, what I want to do, all of those things have been drastically turned upside down because of who Jesus is. And so at the uh, end of my 10-hour car ride, as I was reflecting, I thought, wow, Jesus has changed a lot. Like, he changed the world. There's no decision. I don't care if you're not a Christian here today. We're just glad that you're here, but I think you can agree with me. Jesus turned the world upside down, that he changed and continues to change the way that not only the world works, but the way that we view the world, and he's changed many of our lives as well. And so, by the end of the car ride, I just had this, this phrase in my mind, Jesus changes everything. He really does. There's no getting around. Jesus changes everything, and I think that's that's kind of the vision for this coming year. I know that that is my why. That's why I do what I do, and I think that's why this church exists is, is because we believe that Jesus changes everything. And so we just, we just continue to believe that, and we continue to just circle around that truth, and we continue to program, continue to push forward because we believe that Jesus continues to change everything. And so for me, I, I sort of see this as the battle cry for this coming year. You know those movies where they have the the battle cry right before they're about to go into battle. What is the Braveheart one? Is it freedom or what, you know, whatever it is, right? There's like the, the most uh, famous battle cry in American history was during the Revolutionary War, and it was liberty or death. And I'm thinking, I'll just go with liberty, but yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I get it. And they shout out their battle cry, and their battle cry is their why. This is why we are fighting. This is what we will die for, is this is our why. We want freedom, we want liberty. We wanna see Jesus change everything. And so I wanna use this battle cry, and we're gonna be talking about it in, uh, probably you know, every weekend for the rest of the year, so you better get used to it. But I really want it to do three things. First thing is I want it to be a, a reminder. I want it to be a reminder that Jesus really can change your circumstances. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, blessed is the one who preserves under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, the, the truth is that some of us, we're either heading into or you're right in the middle of a battle. It could be a, a physical battle in which our, our body seems to be turning against us. It could be a spiritual battle. It could be emotional, relational, financial, whatever it may be. We are either in or heading into a battle. And I want this, this battle cry that Jesus changes everything to be a reminder that Jesus is still changing, that, that hope is not lost, that he hasn't forgotten about you, that your story's not over yet, that he can still turn things around because if history is any indication of what Jesus can do, he can change your circumstances. It's also a resolution to allow him to change our lives. Some of us know that, um, that Jesus can change our lives and that's probably what we're most afraid of. Because there is an area, maybe it's our entire life, or maybe it's just an area of our life in which we are, we're, we're afraid that Jesus is actually going to get in there and change some things. Because this is ours. We want to be in control of this area of our life, or we want to be in control of our entire lives. And so we're afraid that if we open up our hearts to Jesus, then he is going to come in and he's going to change everything. Revelation 3.20, 3, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. See, Jesus is a gentleman. He's going to knock at your heart. He's going to knock at the door of your heart, and you can decide, are you going to let him in or not? He's not going to force his way in. He's going to allow you to make a decision. Are you going to let him in or not? Some of us, we need to let him in for the first time. 2020 needs to be the time where we go, okay, Jesus, it's all yours. It's all your full submission. Everything is yours. I come with full open hands, and I say it's all of yours. Some of us, we've been saying that we do that, but we've been holding back something. And he's going, I see. I, you, know, you don't think I see that area of your life that you keep hiding from me? No, 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 no. It's time for you to bring that out and say, okay, it's yours. Allow him to change some things in your life. And the last one, I want to really focus on this one, is it's a responsibility. When we say Jesus changes everything, what we're, what we're saying is that we're signing up for the commission, for the thing that Jesus has sent us to. So if you look back to where Jesus um, kind of made this really big claim, he made this really big claim and he said, I'm gonna turn the world upside down. In fact, I'm gonna change the world and nothing's gonna be able to stop it. Not even the gates of hell are gonna be able to stop it. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna build this thing. It's gonna be a group of people and it's gonna be called the church and they're gonna go out into the world and they're gonna change the game. And then they did. And they have been for the last 2,000 years. People, just like you and I, Christians, have been going out and saying, you know what, we believe what Jesus says, we take this seriously, and so we're gonna go out and we're gonna change the world, and they have. And every generation gets to decide, now it's my turn, what am I gonna do with this? Because every generation, Jesus says, now it's your turn, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sign up and be a part of it? Are you gonna be a game changer as well, or are you just gonna sit back and watch? Because here's the real truth, is your life and my life are just a mist. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. And I know you don't want to think about this, but you're going to die before you know it. And all the things that you're focused in and all the things that you're working towards and all the things that you think are so important, guess what? They're all going to be gone. All of them. They will be in the dustbin of history. No one will remember any of it, except for one thing. If you sign up to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, that's the only way your life is going to matter and my life is going to matter, is if it echoes through eternity. The only way that's going to happen is if we sign up to do what Jesus is doing. And so, Jesus, uh, he gives us this challenge. And it's a, it's a piece of scripture that this week I just couldn't get away from. I tried to. I wasn't planning on using it. I wasn't planning on speaking on it. But it was one of those where I'm kind of thick-headed, and so Jesus has, like, knocked me side the head a few times. And so I woke up at the beginning of the week, and I was doing my devotionals, and this is what it was on. And then the next day, I listened to a sermon, and that's what it was on. And then the next day, somebody talked, and that's what it was on. I was like, okay, I got it. I'll do it. Fine. Jesus tells a story in Luke 15, 3. He says this. Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you know, I'm willing to go to incredible lengths in order to save just, just one person. And we know that he does because right after this, he ends up being crucified on the cross, dying for our sins in order to save one person, me and you. And he says, I'll go to any length in order to find that one. But then the story kind of turns around and it's focused on us and it's a challenge. Now, what are you willing to do? 
Remember, because he handed it over to us, and he says, now what are you going to do in order to save the one, in order to help somebody find their way back to me? Of course, when, uh, when I have to speak about something and I'm convicted on something, God always gives me the opportunity to put it into practice. And uh, this last week, as I was thinking about this passage, um, Amy and I were going to go out to dinner. It was at the end of the trip. We had an eight-hour trip on the way back. So to say that we were um, kind of overhanging with the kids for a little bit would be an understatement. We needed a break. And so we got a babysitter, and we headed out to dinner. And on our way to dinner, uh, we, we needed to stop and, and uh, do a little shopping. And so as we're shopping, the salesperson comes up to me, and he introduced himself, you know, how can I help, blah, blah, blah. And I, I realized, like, he's a little bit younger than me, and I realized that he's not um, originally from the United States. And so I just begin a conversation with him, and I say, hey, where are you from? So oh, I'm from Iran. I said, <laughs> Isn't that funny timing? Want to talk politics? No? Okay, that's fine. Um, I said, oh, okay, well, why did you move here? And when did you move here? He said, well, I moved here because of religious persecution. I said, oh, really? What, what religion are you? He said, I'm Baha'i, and I don't know a whole lot about that faith, and so I just asked him questions, and he was explaining it to me. And, but at the end of it, he said, you know, but I no longer believe all of that because I've realized that religion is the cause of all this harm and grief and violence and wars in the world. And so what I believe in now is humanity. I just believe in humanity. And I'm kind of in my mind debating, you know, where you're just like, okay, I have, I have a choice to make here. I can either just go, oh, well, here's the way it is what it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye. Because this is not like a, he like threw a, like just a, right in the middle. I was just like, okay. <laughs> and then, of course, I think, so you're going to go after the one or not? Oh, okay, let's do this. So I say, really? Religion is the cause of all the evil, huh? Well, what about like Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler, Mao? Those guys were all either atheistic or, or, or explicitly anti-religious. And they seem to have done a whole lot of damage in this world. And so maybe it's not that religion is the problem, Maybe it's that humanity is actually the problem. So you think that humanity is the thing that's going to save us? Maybe it's the thing that we need saving from. Maybe it's the fact that we can't save ourselves, that we need a savior. And he looked at me like, huh? <laughs> he goes, and he kind of thinks for a second. And he goes, can I, just, can I just tell you something kind of crazy? I'm like, dude, we're already at crazy, bro. We're there. <laughs> we're there. We're full crazy right now, okay? He says, a couple weeks ago, I was just fired from my job, and I got this one, luckily, and, and I, I loved that job, and I, I thought I did a really good job there, and, and it was unfair that they let me go, and as I was walking out of being fired, I cried out, and I said, God, if you're real, I need to hear from you, because I don't know what to do right now, and as soon as I said that prayer, I looked, and there was this coin on the ground, and so I picked up the coin, and it, and it said this, and he showed it to me. It said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And now you're here with me. I don't know what to make of all this. And I said, you know, it's funny. That, that prayer, that's called the serenity prayer. It's a Christian prayer. And I happen to be a Christian as well. And so maybe it's not all the coincidence. Maybe the fact that you got this incredible message maybe from God, and then there's somebody here telling you about this God. Do you think that maybe that God is trying to get your attention and talk to you a little bit? It's like, yeah, I think, I think maybe. 
I said, I go to this church. Great church. I said, you should come with me. I think you'd like it. I think it would be fun. He said, and he's like, he has no idea. Like, what do you guys do there? And I say, okay, we got his phone out and I pulled up the website and he looks at it and he goes, that's you. I said, I go there a lot. I'm really involved there. So we ended up talking for a couple hours after that and talking about Jesus and all that kind of good stuff. And, and, uh, and I'm hoping that he's going to be here maybe this weekend and, uh, or in the coming weeks. And oh, by the way, everyone kept asking me at the end of last service, did you go to dinner or not? And I'm thinking, that's what you got out of this? I poured my heart out and you're wondering if I made it to dinner or not? No, I didn't. We drove through in and out on the way home. Still delicious though. I think as we look forward to this coming year, and, um, and at least for me, and I think this is true of the entire church, is, is we need to put this at the forefront of our minds, is that our why, the reason why we do this, the reason why we show up, the reason why we volunteer and we give and we invite is because we believe that Jesus changes everything. That, that we have seen him work in the world and we have seen him work in our lives and we want to introduce him to people, anybody who will listen, because we believe that they can change their lives as well. And so next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about our how. This weekend, we've talked about why and Jesus changing everything. We're going to build upon that and talk about how. But before we do, before we go to next week, I just want to, I want to leave you with just maybe one how. We're going to talk more next week, but just one how for you to just to put into practice this week. As you, as you continue to reflect on the fact that Jesus changes everything, I would challenge you that this week, you maybe invite somebody. It's very simple. It's not big. It's not crazy. It's, it, just, just put it at the forefront of your mind that maybe there's somebody that you should be inviting to church. Just tell them, come with me. In fact, try this. Tell them, come sit with me. Don't just throw out this like general, like, come to church, 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 church. Okay, anybody hear that? <laughs> Nobody? Okay, cool. No, 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 no. Come to church with me and sit with me. Here's my number. Let me get you there. I'll text you. We can carpool. I'll meet you there. In fact, if you're feeling generous, I'm going to buy you lunch afterward. Ooh. And here's what's going to happen. They're, they might happen. They may say no. They may go, oh. I had one recently. I invited somebody. Um, I don't even know his name, but I see him all the time in my neighborhood walking his dogs. And so I always feel like, oh, man, I should invite them. I should invite them. I should invite them. So one day I just, okay, I'm going to invite him. So I say, hey, again, I go to this church. I love it. It's great. Pastor's amazing half the time. Um, <laughs> No, but, but I say, hey, I say, you should come with me. Come with me to church. <laughs> he says, I can't. I'm Jewish. And I said, that is such a coincidence. So was Jesus, and we love Jesus there. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I just, okay. He did not think that was funny. I, however, did. So... <laughs> But it's not complicated. Hey, come to church with me. Come sit with me. It's going to be great. And they're going to go, ah, and you go, ah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know you're not religious. I know you're not sure about this whole faith thing. I know you don't even believe in God, but just come anyway. Come try it out. Just come anyway. Their response is always, I, I, I know. Just come anyway. You're going to like it. It's going to be fun. See, one of, my, one of my prayers for our church is that this year, and I think it's always been there, but I really want to, I really want to, kind of zero in on it, is that our church becomes a church of inviters, that it really becomes a part of our DNA, 
that we are always looking for opportunities that God may bring across our doorstep that we could be people who invite them into a relationship with Jesus because we know that Jesus changes everything. So here's the question I wanna leave you with. Is as we, as we read this parable of the 99 and the one where Jesus goes after the one, the question that we're left with is, who is your one? Who's the one in your life? The one that has either wandered away from faith or maybe he had no faith at all. And when I say that, immediately some of you guys know that's my one. It's a sibling. It's a spouse. It's a friend. It's a child. I know this one. And say, yeah, I would encourage you to invite them, but I would also encourage you to begin with prayer. See, you know how serious somebody is about influencing the people around them based on how much they're willing to pray for them. And so, I really would encourage you to get up every single day and go, God, I need you to show up. I need you to work on this person because I can talk to them blue in the face and I know they're just gonna resist, but if you show up, if you call them and then you use me to be able to influence them, I know that life change can happen. For some of us, we're, we're not exactly sure maybe who that person is. We need to begin praying, God, bring somebody across my doorstep that I can invite, that I can influence just like the guy that I ran into, wasn't expecting it, but hey, you know what? I'm willing, I'm engaged, I'm ready because I've been praying for this. And if we're being totally honest, some of us, our prayer needs to be, Lord, give me a heart for the people who don't know you. My family's good, we all follow Jesus, God's taking care of us, and maybe we're a little bit cynical. And we need to ask God, will you give me a heart for people who don't know you yet? Will you give me eyes to be able to see the people around me the way that you see them and how desperately you want them to know you? Because if we can come with that kind of attitude, we really do believe that Jesus, Jesus will change some things. And so that's our prayer for this coming year, is that as we have seen in the past, that Jesus has changed everything. As we continue to see Jesus changing our lives, that he would use us as a church to bring change in the families, in the communities, at work, the people that we love. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, for what you've done, what you've done in, in the world at large, how that you have turned everything upside down, that this world is different because you, you came. And not only did you come, but you gave yourself for us, on behalf of us, in order for us to be reconciled to you. And so, Lord God, you have changed everything and you have changed us individually. There are so many stories in this room where you have drastically changed our lives, Lord God. And so we wanna become a church that as we look out into the world that we wanna see that change come into people's lives, Lord God. And so we pray that you would give us a heart, that you would give us a passion for those people who are not here yet. And Lord, whoever that one is, allow us to be an influence in their life. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.